0: Hi, my name is Dr. Rongan Chatterjee, medical doctor, author of The Four Pillar Plan and television presenter. I believe that all of us have the ability to feel better than we currently do, but getting healthy has become far too complicated. With this podcast, I aim to simplify it. I'm going to be having conversations with some of the most interesting and exciting people, both within as well as outside the health space, to hopefully inspire you, as well as empower you with simple tips that you can put into practice immediately to transform the way that you feel. I believe that when we are healthier, we are happier, because when we feel better, we live more. I'm delighted to welcome onto the podcast today, Dr. Frank Lipman. Frank Has been a practicing medical doctor for nearly 40 years now. He's respected all over the world. He founded the 1111 Wellness Center right in the middle of New York back in 1992. And he's known for combining the best of Western medicine and cutting edge nutritional science with age old healing techniques from the East. As his very famous patient, the chef Seamus Mullen, once told the New York Times, if antibiotics are right, Frank will try it. If it's an anti-inflammatory diet that I need, he'll do that as well. Frank looks at the body as a system rather than looking at isolated things. That is something I am totally on board with. So it gives me great pleasure to introduce today, Dr. Frank Lipman.
1: So Frank, welcome to the Feel Better Live More podcast. Great, great to have you here in New York at my practice. Um, yeah. Lovely to meet you.
0: Yeah, we, we've been communicating over social media and email for a few years now. So it's a real honor for me to be here in Manhattan in the 1111 Wellness Center, something I've been reading about for many years now. I've been following your work for a, for a number of years and, you know, been a big fan, actually. And, you know, I remember that we actually got mutually introduced, I think, pretty much around the time that my very first BBC series of Doctor in the House came out, and we've been in constant communication since then, which has been a lot of fun. Right. Um, so Frank, you know, I think we're going to dive into your book, because I find that incredibly fascinating, but I thought we'd start just by asking, how does someone like yourself, who's born many thousands of miles away from here, in Johannesburg in South Africa, end up here in
1: the centre of Manhattan? Right, born thousands of miles away and thousands of years ago. Uh, <laughs> so I, uh, I qualified in 1979 in South Africa. And, uh, you know, I grew up during apartheid, so I always knew I wanted to leave South Africa. But uh, I had to pass American exams to, to get into America. I actually w- was interested in coming to, to London at, at one stage, and then uh, I was told, don't go to London. It's not easy for doctors there, so... Wow. America became my place of choice. but So I knew I wanted to leave South Africa. And I got exposed to non-traditional medicine um, in South Africa, to African medicine, to sangomas early on. And that was sort of my first exposure to non-traditional medicine. Because when we couldn't help patients in the hospital, the family used to call in the sangoma, the traditional healer. And I noticed that sometimes the he- traditional healer helped these patients that we couldn't help. And then after my internship in, um, in 1980, I went to work in the bush. And once again, I got exposed to traditional healers again. And once again, I noticed that they were helping some of the patients that we couldn't help. And then I, worked, then I went to work in a, a, a GP practice before I came to the States. And when you go into a GP practice, you're seeing completely different patients than in a hospital. People coming in, they couldn't poop and they were tired and they were bloated. And I didn't know what the hell to do because I wasn't trained in the hospital to deal with his patients. And the doctor there, Paul Davis, said to me, Frank, your job is just to be there for people. People get better in spite of the medicine uh, you give them. And, you know, you just support them and talk to them. And and um, there was actually one acupuncturist in Johannesburg, and, and he, he his practice was sort of the artsy community and the lefty political community in Johannesburg. And they were coming into the practice, and they had seen the acupuncturist, and they had seen homeopaths. Um, and I saw some of these patients, once again, were getting better with problems that we couldn't help in traditional medicine. And I started thinking, you know, what the hell is going on here? I'm seeing Sangoma's helping patients so I can't help. The acupuncturist, the homeopath, these are helping patients that we can't help. Why is it all being called quackery? So that sort of opened my mind a little bit, and then I emigrated to the states um, and i started i had to get a resi- I had to get three years in internal medicine to get a license here. so I landed in New York in the South Bronx, which is pretty burnt out in that area. <laughs> it was heroin and crack area wow um, but they would sponsor me for a green card, and I started doing my residency and after about two weeks of my residency, I realized I didn't want to be a doctor here. Because in South Africa, like in London, you train very differently. You train to, to to take a good history and do a good examination, not to do a million tests. And the part of, of medicine that I really enjoyed was the relationship. And there was none of that in America. It was just what did the blood show, what did the x-ray show, what did the EKG show? And then you had to go read up and study and, and present it to the professor the next day. And I thought, this is not for me. There happened to be an acupuncture clinic in the South Bronx next to to the hospital and I said oh shit I'm, I'm just going to check this out I don't want to be a doctor in America so I walked over in this burnt out neighborhood and I w- walked in to this acupuncture clinic and I saw about 50 addicts sitting quietly with needles in their ears and I went whoo this is interesting these are the same patients that I'm treating in the wards and they're pulling out their IVs and they're swearing at you and they're very difficult patients." And I walk into this clinic, and they're sitting quietly within, with needles in their ears. <laughs> so I said, okay, this is, I'm going to check this out. So I went to speak to the guy who ran the clinic, and he, and he loved that I was an MD and interested. And he said, you can come and check this out anytime you want. And you know, you you're welcome to learn whatever you want, Jim. This was 1984, so this was long before people were even interested in acupuncture. So for the next three years, during my residency, I was spending time at the hospital doing my residency, and I was going to the acupuncture clinic. And I noticed that they were both helping completely different types of patients. At the hospital, we were treating people with acute heart attacks and pneumonia um, and acute asthma attacks. And Western medicine was wonderful. But they'd come to the outpatient clinic and they couldn't poop and they were tired and they were bloated and we didn't have any tools. Whereas those same type of patients were going to the acupuncture clinic because it wasn't just a detox clinic. And I saw that acupuncture and Chinese medicine was helping these patients that we weren't helping. So I realized in 1984 that the future of medicine was going to be a combination of these two because they were helping two completely different types of patients. And the one was good at one thing, the Chinese medicine was good at the other, and they both weren't really helping what, what the other type of medicine was helping. So it was pretty obvious for me then Um to see what the future was. And that's what I decided. I I knew then that that's what I wanted to do, to try somehow bring the two together. And then then after my residency, I went on this journey, (coughs) started studying Chinese medicine and acupuncture, got into meditation and yoga, uh, started getting into nutrition, and I met Jeff Bland in the late 80s and started learning functional medicine, and that's the journey. So for the last... 30, what, almost 40 years, I don't know, I'm an old man. I've been, you know, just refining and refining the tools to try and, and bring the best medicine to my patients. Wow. I mean, Frank... Long
0: story. Well, an incredible story, really. And, you know, it just strikes me that you were so ahead of your time, really. If you think about this, you're talking about 1984. You know, over 30 years ago, you as a Western-trained medical doctor and MD were open-minded enough to recognize the limitations of your training. And, and I, I just, I want to sort of delve into that a little bit. Uh, do you feel that you've always been open-minded? Because there's many doctors, unfortunately, who, you know, even if this is going on around them, they, they will call this quackery. They will, um, you know, have tunnel vision in terms of what I've been trained as the way to practice, because I have found, you know, Throughout my training But there were some patients I could really, really help well With my medical school training So many patients I couldn't either So I was always interested in as to What are those things you know, So I've always been very open-minded Would you say you've always been open-minded?
1: Yeah, I think so You know, I come from a, a medical family So I didn't, I didn't get the open-minded in medicine from my family But I came from a very left-wing family during apartheid So I grew up knowing that the system is rotten and to me, the medical system was as rotten as a political system in South Africa. So I, I sort of grew up questioning the system anyway. So questioning the medical system was just an extension of me questioning the system. So would you, would you actually say then you're, as a
0: result of you growing up in challenging political times and apartheid era in South Africa... Do you think, therefore, that that in some way has contributed to you practicing the way
1: you practice today? No question. I think that's definitely part of it, that I didn't trust the system. Questioning the system was something that was, you know, inbred in me.
0: Yeah, but this is the key, really, because you have, by virtue of your upbringing, um, you will question the system. And I, I often wonder what happens to you know, bright students at school, they go to medical school and, you know, by one criteria of intelligence that society dictates is, you know, important. People who go to medical school tend to have good grades in their school. And I think that they start medical school and, you know, they're free thinkers. They've got open minds, you know, really trying to figure out what's right, what's wrong, you know, how can I best progress, And I find somewhere along the line, I don't know if it's at medical school or in your first few years as an intern, for many of us, that questioning goes out the window and it's literally a case of what were we taught? What does the protocol say? You know, I will keep doing this irrespective of whether it's working or not because I don't understand why more doctors are not questioning the fact that, as I did a few years ago, at the end of my primary care day, I looked back at my whole list of patients and I think I'd seen nearly 50 patients and I thought, honestly, I've helped around 20% of my patients. The other 80%, I don't feel right. I've done much for. Right. So I, it's incredible to think about the upbringing, how that plays
1: a role here. Yeah, no, I think it's pretty scary. And that's why I always say, is the medical system, are medical students and uh, doctors part of a cult? Because you know what they do in cults? They deprive you of sleep. They fill you up with sugar and caffeine, and you're too tired to even question the system. That's what I think happens to doctors. They're so tired they just don't have the energy to actually question what they've been, what's been shoved down their throat. And that's basically what happens in a cult. So I know that's a bit extreme, but sometimes I sort of compare, you know, medical students and the medical system to a, to a cult.
0: Yeah, I guess you've, as you say, you've been doing this for for many years now. So I guess you've had time to. Reflect back and think about, you know, why is it? Why is what you? I I presume at some point in the 1980s, if you were practicing this way, you were combining the best of Western medicine with some of these more traditional Eastern philosophies. You know, how was that looked upon back then? You know, did you feel you were like a pioneer in some ways? You were you were you doing something that pretty much no one else was doing around then?
1: Well, you know, in those days, I didn't really look at myself as a pioneer. I was just doing what I knew was right. You know, they asked me to be chief medical resident in my third year during my residency. And I said, yes, if I can spend time in the psychiatry department because the acupuncture clinic was part of the psychiatry department because they were making a lot of money doing detox for the hospital. And they said, sure. And they really liked me because I was a good resident. And then I decided to give grand rounds towards the end of my training. I was going to give grand rounds on acupuncture. And so everyone came because they had to be polite. At the hospital? At the hospital. At the conventional... This wow. is in 1987. I gave grand rounds on acupuncture.
0: And guys, guys, just to say, for those of you listening who are not familiar with the medical system, grand rounds is very prestigious. Certainly in the UK, it's very prestigious. Somebody maybe once a week or once a month will give... Uh, an academic type lecture to the rest of the hospital you know medical students professors mds you know everyone research professors everyone turns up so just a bit of context for you so frank you were giving a uh, a grand rounds on
1: acupuncture right and they let me they didn't know it was going to be on acupuncture but they <laughs> let me do it because i was chief medical resident And they sat there politely. Some people got up and walked out. But almost every professor came up to me and said, Frank, you're such a good doctor. What are you doing? You're going to be ostracized. Are you crazy? This is nonsense. Not one of them supported me. Not one. They all came up to me. And being nice, they were trying to be supportive. They kept, you know, they said, what are you doing? Are you crazy? But, you know, I knew, I knew, I was so clear in my head that what I wanted to do and what the future would be. So um, you know that was uh, quite funny, but I was also lucky enough. Part one, part I left out was I had really good teachers on the way. You know, I had Jeff Bland in functional medicine, but I had amazing an amazing yoga teacher who actually. Was uh, sort of, he's like a philosopher, and actually, an English guy, um, an older guy who's been a mentor for me. And my Chinese medicine teachers, Ephraim Kormgold and Harriet Beinfeld, they wrote Between Heaven and Earth, a guide to Chinese medicine, were unbelievable. So I had amazing guides and teachers which were really helpful because they really taught me a different way of thinking about not only medicine, about life. So I was very lucky. I mean, I must say, it's not, I mean, I knew what I wanted to do. But I was lucky to to come across people who sort of took me in, my Chinese medicine teachers, my yoga teacher, and Jeff Bland, who was also a big influence on, yeah. and on all of us with functional medicine. Yeah.
0: Frank, it's an incredible story. You know, something, something really caught my ear there, which was you gave the grand rounds in acupuncture. Right. And, you know, acupuncture actually is pretty well, you know, I wouldn't say well-respected, but now, now there's a lot yeah. of acceptance now within yeah. the medical profession that it has value, certainly right. for some conditions. I mean, I, I think we'll find out more and more. We'll get the research that we need to say that actually it has a widespread use. But the medical profession are in a way that they probably weren't in the 1980s. Are Certain, certain parts of the medical profession are embracing right. uh, uh, acupuncture, that's for sure. Um, but you said when they came up to you after... The talk you know said Frank you were a great doctor but you know they were trying to dissuade you but you said you were very clear in your mind you had a clear purpose you know and that really struck out and I think that's a, that's a really good way of segueing into your book uh, how to be well the six keys to a happy and healthy life so you know many of my listeners are familiar with my book in the UK the four pillar plan where I talk about these four key pillars of health you've expanded that to six pillars but I wonder where that whole piece of having a clear mind and, and knowing your mind
1: and knowing your purpose, what sort of a role does that play in health? I think that has a huge role to play in health. I mean, I think, you know, I'm not saying how you eat and how you move and how you sleep and how you chill out or your four pillars are not important. They're essential. But, what I, you know, what you notice over the years is... When people have meaning in their lives, when they have purpose, the non-tangible aspects of life are so important in healing. Um, so purpose is one of those things. You know, I, I, I always tell a story. I'm, I don't know if i told it. I've told it in a book before, one of my books. I had a patient who had what we were calling chronic fatigue at the time, and she was she would come in and we tried everything. I tried all the tools. We changed her diet. We gave her supplements. We tried to get her to sleep right. She was exercising. <clears throat> we got her to meditate. She just wasn't getting better. And I threw up my hands. I said, why don't you just go to Africa and do some nonprofit? Just do some charity work. Just get out of your life here. Um, I just because, Part of it, I just didn't know what the hell to do with her. And then I didn't see her for a while. And a couple of months later, I got an email from her, a thank you note, thanking me. I'm in Africa. I did exactly what you told me to do. I'm working for this nonprofit. I'm loving it. I'm really happy. I'm fine. I'm 100% cured. Thank you for changing my life. And, and wow. th- th- that was something that was, I just, just, I didn't know what to do with it. So I threw up my hand. I said, go to Africa. And over the years, I've seen that over and over again. You know what I? You know the point of the book is the small things we do, the ordinary activities that we do on a daily basis have an extraordinary effect on our health. And we take those for granted. Whether it's having gratitude, whether it's being kind to others, whether it's listening to music, whether, whether it's taking a walk in nature, we take those little aspects of life as not healing or or not necessary as medicine to me that's all medicine you know everything we do it can be beneficial to our health or detrimental to our health but we don't see it that way and so over the years I've realized that these little aspects of our life that we take for granted are really important yeah I
0: mean what a a great story and um, I think you know it really broadens out this whole idea of what is medicine, you know, medicine. Yeah. Food is medicine, but our lifestyles are medicine. Our passions can be our medicine. You know, it's about Absolutely. You know, In the 21st century. Right. We need to change what that term means. You know, right. we need to bring it out of the 20th century where medicine had that particular role, didn't it? You know, you go see a doctor, he gives you medicine. But I think in the 21st century, we need a new definition of what medicine is. Um, you know, that story you, you mentioned, you know, I think I, like you, Frank, we, we learn from our patients, right? right. We, we, we read stuff, we read the science, we, we try and apply it with our patients, but then things happen and they report things back to you. And if you're open-minded, you're going, exactly. why is that works? And, yeah. and I, in my book, I detail the story of a lady with Crohn's disease who had been under her gastroenterologist, she'd been on immunosuppressants, You know, she she didn't like the way she felt on them. Her symptoms weren't getting better. Then I'd been seeing her for a little while. For a period of time, we did some things with her diet, you know, and, yeah, we got some improvement. But then she went off. I didn't see her for a little while. And she came in really frustrated that she'd plateaued. And as I was talking to her, I thought, you know what? This lady has no time for herself. She does nothing that she loves. She's like many of the female patients I see in my practice who are... You know, they don't feel that they can justify time for themselves. She would do everything for her husband, for her children, for her elderly parents. She did nothing for herself. And so I said to her, what I want you to do for four weeks is I want you to have 15 minutes a day where you do something just for you and you alone that doesn't involve your, your smartphone. Um, and I want you to find one thing a week that you do that you love, something you may not have done before. She came up four weeks later. And I said, what did you do? And she said, well, for 15 minutes a day after I drop my kids at school, i go for a walk in the park. Okay. And I said, what was your passion? She said, you know, I've always wanted to learn salsa dancing, but I've never done it. So I've joined a salsa dancing class. And after four weeks, her Crohn's symptoms had gone down by 50% right. just from those changes. Yep. And I, I thought, just as, as you're saying, wow, you know... All these things interplay together. We can't separate them out. Absolutely. you know, I, in in my 4 pillar approach, I've tried to cover sort of connection and the social piece under the whole relaxed piece. But I love the way that you've actually put them as six separate pillars. So I wonder if we could just delve into them a little bit, Frank. Sure. Yours are eat, sleep, move, protect, unwind, and connect. Right. And I wonder if we could maybe start with protect unwind and connect and whether you could explain you know the, the what you mean by those terms yeah. and what can people who are listening to this maybe do in you know in their everyday life to start getting a bit of this in their in, into their health
1: sure so also the context i put it in i sort of also for many many years i was trying to understand eastern medicine from a western perspective i was trying to understand what is qi what you know, um, you know, which is now I believe the meridians and and the fascias where where the energy runs through. I was trying to understand Chinese medicine from a Western perspective. But I, what I did with this book is I took my my China or my Eastern um, understanding of medicine and my Eastern um, influences of of a mandala. I'm like as you see in this office, I have, a mandala, I have mandalas everywhere. Um, and so I try to overlay the Western con- you know, context on, on the mandala. And there were six rings surrounding you in the center. And that's how the six rings work. The most material eat to the least material connect because that people don't – it's not material enough. But so, you know, protect, unwind, and connect are the three least material. Protect is – why I put that in there is um, – if, we had, if I had written this book 50 years ago, there wouldn't need to be a protect. But with the amount of chemicals um, in our food, in our water, in the environment in general, I think one needs to be aware of how to mitigate that. How do you decrease the n- amount of chemicals you put into your body and how do you protect yourself from all the chemicals out there? Um, it may be less of a problem in England, but it's a huge problem in America, I mean, on a daily basis, we are exposed to thousands and thousands of chemicals from the cosmetics we put on our skin to you know to the food we eat, full of chemicals. The water, there are hundreds of chemicals in the water. Yeah, so the the protect um, ring or the protect aspect of of, of um, my book is really becoming aware of all the chemicals that you're exposed to without becoming um, crazy about it, and, and 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 not becoming too obsessive, but just becoming aware and the little things that you can do to to help prevent you from being exposed to as many and dealing with the chemicals that there's nothing you can do about. And and would would this
0: involve things like? you know, organic versus non-organic food, for example, the non-organic foods that we know, like the Dirty Dozen list, where these are the heavily sprayed and heavily pesticide-laden foods. Does that come under your protects?
1: Absolutely. So that's, that's, you know, in fact, I I mentioned the Environmental Working Group and their work and... And, and that in the book, because the book is actually a, a real how-to book. So it's not only telling people about these ideas or about what's out there, it's how to actually deal with the problem. Yeah. So when it comes to food, if you can't buy all your food organic, it's crazy that we have to have organic food. Food was always organic. Yeah, absolutely. So now, now it's like normal food is non-organic and we have to look for organic food. But yeah, if you can't afford to buy organic food, You look at the environmental working group list, and these are the 12 foods that have the most chemicals. Those would be the foods that you try or buy organic. So, yes, that would fit under there. Also, cosmetics – Women in particular, or and men, but men don't wear as many cosmetics. Women are not aware of all the chemicals that they put on their skin and, and these chemicals stay all day on someone 's skin and and the skin's very permeable, so these these chemicals can enter yeah. into your skin and The problem is you know the studies are done on one chemical at a time, but we're exposed to so many chemicals and it's how, how do all these chemicals work together in the body? And, and we know a lot of these chemicals have um, endocrine effects or affect our hormones in some way. Some have you know, other effects on the body. But it's the amount of chemicals and how they all work together that we don't really know um what's happening so the best thing you can do is try and decrease the number you put into your body on on your body and also help your body deal with with all those chemicals yeah, Frank you, you say it's not
0: you know it's probably more of an issue here in the US and actually i think you're probably right i think everything you know i i, I come several times a year to America now and i tend to find that it's harder to find Good food, sometimes. Um, I think you do have more issues probably with pollution and, and chemicals in the environments. But but I, I see many patients. Uh, in fact, I, I could think for a, a middle-aged lady I saw recently who's got horrendous skin problems and breathing problems, and she has a cleaner that comes around once a week. Yeah. And we we sort of delve deep into her history, and we found out you know every week on the day that her cleaner comes, as she comes back from work, her skin flares up and her breathing gets worse and she asked a cleaner to stop using the typical cleaning sprays that she was using or to at least drastically reduce it, and she suddenly yeah. didn't have that flare-up anymore. Right. So I think this is a problem, and these products are so endemic now in our culture that we don't even think about it. We do think about exactly. the, you know food and sleep, but we're not thinking about the chemicals. So I think that's a great point. And guys, for those of you listening, you, know, you don't have to take notes here, right? There will be... Everything we've spoken about and the links to all these resources will be at drchassge. dot com forward slash Frank Littman, so you can get a link to all Frank's books, including his new one there. And everything we're speaking about is all going to be there, guys. So I know there's a lot of information coming out, but no need to worry. You can access it all after the episode. Okay, Frank. So that's uh, protection. I wonder if you could talk about unwind, which I I, I suspect is, is quite similar to my relaxation pillow. Yeah,
1: unwind is basically relax. Um, and I think, especially in New York, because those are the patients i seeing, most people um, have a nervous system that's a little bit too hyperactive. And, they, you know, there's just there's too much yang, as we say, and, and not enough yin. So the unwind is, you know, how do you relax? Um, And what can you do to relax? And relaxing may be, once again, taking a walk in nature. It may be um, sitting around a table with your family. But you need to take time out. You need to get out of your head. Most of us live in our heads all the time. So um, there there are lots of tips on how to breathe, breathing techniques, different meditation techniques, um, listening to music. To me, listening to music can be incredibly helpful for relaxation and it's a simple way to relax what do you say to people here in new york who
0: i'm assuming are coming in and they're busy busy stressed out say frank you know this all sounds great you know yeah i know i need to unwind but my job's busy. I've got to get my kids to school before I get to work. Then when I get back, it's just go, go, go. I don't have time, Dr. Lickman, to relax. What do you say to those
1: patients? Well, those type of patients, you usually have to scare them a little bit. You say if you don't make the time, um, you, you know, there's more chance of you developing you know, not necessarily Alzheimer's disease, but all sorts of problems. So there's always a little bit of fear you put in them, and then inspire them to do something. And say, you know, I'm a big proponent of meditation. So we always encourage our patients to. We start. We actually one of the head one of the apps we recommend is in English at the Headspace app, but we recommend different apps. But I really make a point of making 15 to 20 minutes of time a day and meditating because. You know, for, it depends what type of patient it is, but a lot of the time we I explain to people that it's like an athlete. You want to be a mental athlete. You want to stay on top of your game. You need to control your mind because most of the people I'm seeing are burning out very quickly and they don't know how to control their mind. So, uh, you know, i bring in the, me, the, the athlete metaphor. And if you want to stay on top of your game, the younger guys are, are catching up with you, taking over. You need to be sharp. Um... You need to meditate. So, there's always a little bit of fear um, teaching or showing people that it's not that difficult um, and inspiring them to make the changes. And, you know, using, I often use myself as an example, what a difference it's, it's made for me. It's life changing, isn't it? Meditation, yeah. it really is. So, meditation is something simple that I think everyone should do. Now, it's a little bit difficult in the beginning and it's and it's a it's a practice that's why it's called a meditation practice but i say to people if you do it every day for a month i can guarantee you you will feel a difference you won't be so reactive you'll be a little bit sharper you know, people have to do it. You know, I, I say do it every day for a month, and then come back and tell me how you feel. Yeah. And it's very rare that someone will do it every day for a month. If they do it every day, that they don't feel a difference. Yeah, I, I totally agree,
0: Frank. It's 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 just incredible the benefits for people. And I've got a memory actually. And hopefully, I, I think this is true. I think of five or six years ago, when I was reading your blogs, you know, before I actually got to know you personally i'm pretty sure you had a guided meditation on youtube that i i maybe used to do i want to check it out if i can find it i'll put it in the show notes but i'm pretty sure that i
1: listened to one of your guided meditations it's, it's possible i don't know anymore to be it's possible yeah but uh, i'll check it yeah. out if it's there i'll yeah, put okay. it in the show notes guys because
0: okay. i found it incredibly useful and uh, it's something you guys can can start off meditating yeah, and, uh, listening and, it, and there's
1: so many apps now i mean you know headspace has become very popular here yeah uh, but there's so, there's Calm, there's Headspace, um, there's Budify, there's so many apps that make it so easy for people. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, great. Connect. Right. When you say connect,
0: I know we covered a little bit on meaning and purpose, sure. but what do you mean by connect
1: and, and what can people do about improving their ability to connect? Right. So to me, connect is about connecting not only with yourself, but connecting with your family and community, because we've lost that in America, and connecting with the environment, with the world at large. So there are many sort of layers of the connect. Um, in terms of connecting with oneself, um, it's as we talked about earlier. It's about being kind and and um, being grateful, because what you realize, you know, when you kind, when you are grateful, you actually start start you you realize that the benefit is actually more for you than for whatever you've been grateful for or whoever you've been kind to. Um, but then there's a the connect, which I, very, I feel very strongly about, because in America, and, and so different to the way I grew up, I'm noticing more and more it's become a huge issue. The family is breaking apart. There's a loss of community. Um, and I think, you know, being, feeling part of a community, um, having the support of a family is really important. And we need to give that to our kids. We need to sit around a table and eat dinners here everyone's eating separately and they're on their phones you know you go out to eat and everyone's on their phones it's crazy so that that community that loss of community i think is a huge huge part of um why we're seeing so much dis-ease in society
0: for for people frank who who have have moved for work they don't live near their families and don't have maybe many friends nearby there are there some tips you've got for those guys and how they can get a bit more connection
1: yeah i think Ultimately, you want to try create some type of community where you live, people who believe in the same things as you, who you feel listened to and, and heard, um, who you feel completely comfortable around. Now, if that you can't do it in a, in, a, in a local community, there's so many communities online now that you can sort of become a part of. And I always say to people, it may be worth driving for a couple of hours to be part of that community. I do feel... Um, most people can find the people that they feel comfortable with. It could be your local church. It could be, you know, it, any community, any community where you feel that you feel that you are part of the same um, belief system or you feel like you, you're all on the same page is so important. I
0: guess it, this would even be, for those people listening, is, I guess... Frank, I'm sure this would qualify for you, like, let's say, a weekly yoga class. Exactly. Right? Yep. So yep. you can either do yoga yourself at home, or you yep. can do it on YouTube, you can do all these things, and that's great. But if you join a weekly class, then exactly. once a week, yep. you're going to be meeting people who have got exactly. like-minded
1: interests. Yep, exactly. Perfect example. And then there's connecting to the earth at large, which I think... Is port is important? You know whether you believe in the concept of earthing, which I'm quite intrigued by, whether it's real or not. You know the idea that you're getting the electrons and the energy of the earth through you. Or if you're walking around on the beach barefoot or in nature barefoot, there's something about the energy of the earth going through you. I'm quite intrigued by that. I'm Me not too sure. I'm intrigued um, because I know when I walk barefoot on the beach, how much better I feel. But the idea of connecting with With the, the, the Earth at large, I think' it's important. Why do people feel so much better when they go to the beach or when they go for a walk in in the forest there 's something about this um, this not necessarily belief but this feeling of of awe that there 's something bigger than you. Um, which I think is is quite powerful.
0: Yeah, the Japanese have even got the term forest bathing, yes, haven't they? Exactly. There's a, there's a tip in there.
1: Shinrin, it's, Shinrin-yoku. Yep. It's in there's there's, there's fantastic. forest bathing in there, absolutely. Guys, like, I've got to say... Yeah, it's I'm, a I'm, really good book. It's over 100 tips on how to be well. I mean, it's yeah. that's my best book of all of them. Fra- and it's I, a real how-to I've book, got yeah. some of your
0: previous books. This is yeah. incredible. It's yeah. not only full of incredible information. Guys, it's so beautifully yeah. designed, this book. You know, you really want to pick it up and, and take a look through it. Um, yeah, it really is, Frank. It's, 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 I think, looking at it. It's a great book, isn't yeah. It? It's, yeah, it's just Even if I fantastic. say so myself, yeah. Hey, well, it's good to be proud of the work that you've done, <laughs> yeah. right? Um, what about if we sort of go just for the, the final bit of the podcast now, if we go on to eat sleep and move right. um, obviously three big topics right. um, but I wonder if we could just sort of briefly touch on each one and go sure. you know in your what, over 40 years experience now I think right. of seeing seen patients certainly a very long yeah. time you know it, it, in fact on one level it's remarkable for me that with all your experience you know you were chief medical resident here in, in, a, in, a, in a hospital in the 1980s with all your sort of worldly experience your medical experience I find it remarkable that You have released a book, which actually boils a lot of health down to these fundamentals. And, you know, I certainly share that, you know, are you finding more and more as you go through your career, it it comes
1: down to these basics, right? Absolutely absolutely yeah the more i do it the more i realize it's these basic little things that make such a huge difference to your health yeah
0: yeah so what are some of those things in food in movement and sleep that people listening to this can sort of get a an overview of and then also some sort of top tips if you can
1: right so let's when we talk about food i don't think there's one right diet for everyone i think we're all a little bit different but i will say the f- by far the majority of people I see, especially as they get older, do better on a low carbohydrate diet. I'm not saying that's right for everyone, but the majority of people I see in my practice do better on a low carbohydrate diet, and that means eating basically tons of vegetables, tons of vegetables, as I say, you know, it can be seventy percent of your diet, and well sourced, you know, protein. So I'm not against animal protein. I'm against what they've done for instance, meat in this country, all the meat is factory farm, most of it. So I'm not recommending factory farm meat. I'm recommending grass-fed, grass-finished meat. I'm recommending organic chicken. Um, I'm recommending wild fish. That's what we've done. You know, we talked about protect. We've put all these chemicals and hormones into these animals. And it, that's what's unhealthy about the meat, not the actual meat itself. So I'm not a vegan. I'm not a, and, and If someone's a vegan or vegetarian, I'll totally respect that especially if, <clears throat> if they're doing it for philosophical reasons if they're doing it for health reasons i'm not quite sure if that's the right thing for everyone uh, yeah, yeah exactly but for s- some people do fine as vegetarians so you know i wouldn't change their diet but i do think it's important there's no one right diet for everyone everyone's a little bit different but by far the majority of people do better on a low carbohydrate diet and that's because we, we eat, you know, we're exposed to and we eat so many carbohydrates in our diet. You know, there's so many grains and there's, there's so much sugar out there. Um, and we demonize fat for so many years that it's become a problem. So... Can we just say on that, on that, because
0: yeah. I think it's a, an interesting topic. You mentioned a low-carbohydrate diet. So you said even 70% of your diet could come from vegetables. Yeah. Which, again, I think it's, for me, I was trying to clarify that, you know, we're, we're primarily talking about these highly refined and processed carbohydrates because exactly. vegetables are full of carbohydrates Exactly. But yes. you're not
1: sort of talking about those. Yep. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, we were talking about you just did a podcast with Rich Roll. Rich Roll is a good friend of mine. He's a vegan. Philosophically, we're almost on the same page except he won't eat the animal. You know, I'm eating a sort of a similar diet yeah. to him. He'll have a couple more grains. I don't have the grains and I have some animal protein but for the most part we're yeah. eating a similar there's, diet there's,
0: there's more similarity yeah. between exactly people doing a yeah. you know good quality diet from different exactly. tribes exactly actually yep. there's, a, there's a huge amount of crossover and yep. I, I sometimes wish we'd focus more on what we all agree on rather than having these exactly. big fights over yep. what, what where the disagreement is yep okay so that's some some good tips in food a ton of vegetables really really cut down on those refined and hardly processed carbs which are frankly everywhere uh, these days, which is why I think right. uh, when you cut those out, you automatically ramp up the quality of your diet almost right. instantaneously. Um,
1: what about in movements? So movement is, you know, once again, there's no one right movement for, for everyone. And especially as you get older, you've got to adjust to your body's needs. Um, I do think most people... Probably when it comes to movement, I mean, I, I talk about it in the book, is it's important to to have the yin part of the movement too. People push themselves too much. It's important to rest. You know, if you look in, in yoga, you, a lot of the yoga classes, push, 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 and then there's relax. It's push and relax. So I'm into the intermittent, you know, um type of movement where there's push and relax, push and relax. And now we, we know high-intensity interval training has become such a popular thing. But I'm, I'm, I, I think it's important to realize that you've got to watch how much you push yourself because you always need to balance it with a little bit of rest. So great to to exercise, but it's important to like rest as well. Do, do you see people as I do? Because you, I don't actually work in
0: the center of a big city like you do, particularly a city here like New right. York. I see people who are over exercising, yep. I would imagine some of your yeah. patients might be the sort of a type patients who yep. are working hard they 're performing well, but they 're also maybe exercising too hard
1: yep that 's exactly what i was saying. I see that all the time it you know burns out their adrenals, and I see the consequences of it so i 'm very you know it 's very important to tune into bo- your body and see um, how you feel after exercise. You should feel good. If you're feeling exhausted after exercise, that's not a good thing. And, you know, exercise of all the tips is probably my weakest area, personally. Um,
0: well, I was going to ask you that, actually. Yeah. In fact, Well, let's go to that question, because it's, yeah. it's, it's it's one I tend to ask my guests, which is when I talk about these four pillars, food, movement, sleep, and relaxation, right. I, at the moment, am struggling with the relaxed pillar. That's my right. sort of weak pillar, if it were. Um, you're saying, well, let me ask you the question: What pillar do you struggle with? The yeah,
1: I'd say exercise. I mean, I I love riding my bike outside, but in winter here, you know, for January, February, and March, it becomes tough. But I love riding. I hate indoor exercise. so I, I ride my bike. I do a bit of yoga, not as much as I used to, um, but I don't do enough weights, and I, I need to, especially as I'm getting older. I need to do more weights and 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 uh, strength training um so have you got a plan to introduce that yes again? i do have a plan but i'm lazy yeah i do have a plan <laughs> i i need to i mean stretching is you know i've done yoga for so many years so I, I tend to be better with that um and the aerobic with the the cycling is good and i walk a lot but the strength, strength training plan. is a big thing in my core you know as you get older you realize how important these things so my mission this year is to sort of Work it's, on that. Work on my core and some strength training. Frack, yeah. in
0: my in my book, which I've got a copy for you here today in New York, it's there's something called a five minute kitchen workout that literally was designed for patients who used to come in and tell me that they don't have time, they're not getting their strength training in. Yeah. I thought, right. Forget about the gym. I've got to find a way that I can bring it to their house, to their office. And this is what I do as I'm traveling. It's five minutes. So I'm going to open the page for you and show it to you. and see. I hope hope that helps you. you. Okay, let's just briefly touch on sleep.
1: Sleep is one of those underrated aspects of our health that most people don't take seriously enough. And the example I give to scare people all the time is we have a glymphatic system in the brain. And it's a cleaning crew in the brain that only works when you sleep. So if you don't sleep, that cleaning crew doesn't work. And it's the same as if you have a party one night and there's a mess in the morning and you don't clear it up. And you have a party the next night and you don't clear it up. After a couple of days, there's this huge mess in your dining room or wherever the party was. And that's what's happening in your brain if you're not sleeping you're not clearing out all the chemicals the breakdown particles that that you create during the day with your thinking and and all your activity and over time that's just going to wear out your brain and over time it's going to you know affect your memory and affect your your cognitive function so it's important to see that that cleaning crew works every night and the cleaning crew will only work when you sleep so the glymphatic system is an important system that we only now starting to realize um, the importance of and so that's an you know one thing i always speak about with my patients because when people realize that is you know that this cleaning crew is only working when you sleep they get a, they get scared enough to make those changes yeah
0: and do you find here i imagine that well, well i often say that in the 21st century if you're not prioritizing sleep you're probably not getting enough um, just because of the, you know, the infinite temptation that there is now, right? Yep. Is that something you're seeing a lot as well?
1: Oh, absolutely. I think sleep is probably one of the biggest challenges for people, especially high high performers, uh, you know, my New York City type patients. Sleep is they just don't realize, you know, who's got time for sleep?
0: Yeah. Well, Frank, look, i like to leave the listener right at the end of the podcast with some actionable tips i I want this podcast to inspire people so they they literally you know they they come to the end of it and they feel yeah you know what i'm gonna make a change in my everyday life immediately not next week not when january comes around and so i normally ask people for four tips but we don't you know that would be prescriptive on that i know you've got these six keys to a happy and healthy life but i wonder you know are there three or four top tips that people can apply you may already have talked about them but things that people can now really think about
1: putting into action sure make sleep a priority and uh, they're all tips there's tips in the book that tips all over but i think make sleep a priority um eat as close to nature as possible so try eat you know try find local farmers try f- find food that hasn't been injected with chemicals hasn't been sprayed with chemicals um Food that isn't altered is the best food generally that you're going to get. Um, I think awareness of your family and community and being part of something um, and having the support of of that community is is really important. Don't take it for granted. Um, Use music as a tool for changing your moods and for healing. You know, I always tell people, you know, Bob Marley... Or reggae music beats at about 60 beats per minute. When you're listening to reggae, your body entrains at a slow rhythm, same as if you're at the beach and your body slow, your pulse slows down to the rhythm of the waves. If you put on Bob Marley in the background, your body entrains at that slower rhythm. So if you want to chill out, put on some Bob Marley. Hey, um, I love that one. I love that tip. Um, and um, move your body as much as you can. It's not about going to the gym. It's about moving. Just move your body the way nature intended. So um, I think don't get obsessed about going to the gym, but just move as much as you can. Frank, these are great
0: tips. I mean, certainly my big takeaway is I'm going to go and purchase a Bob Marley CD today. I know people will be thinking about downloads, but I actually made a decision about 18 months ago. And I I went and bought an old school CD player for my house that... Um, Much to the dismay of the guy in the shop, uh, I wouldn't get the one with Wi-Fi connectivity. I said, no, I just want something where I I can have my phone off and listen to music. So I'm going to go and buy a Bob Marley CD and listen to it tonight. So thank you for that recommendation. And Frank, I've got to tell you, that was fantastic. I think there's so many tips that you give my listeners. I really appreciate uh, you giving up some of your time
1: here in New York to be on the Feel Better Live More podcast. Thanks, Frank. Thank you. Thank you, Rangan. Thanks for having me. And it's great to meet you in person
0: that concludes today's episode of the feel better live more podcast remember everything that frank and i discussed will be available on the show notes page on my website at drchatterjee.com forward slash frank Littman. i'm spending a lot of time and energy guys into putting together the show notes page so that you can continue your learning experience after the podcast is over there's lots of resources and clickable links there so do check it out and let me know what you think some of you may be aware that just earlier this week, I announced that I've just completed a brand new book, which will be out in just a few months. It's called The Stress Solution, The Four Steps to Reset Your Body, Mind, Relationship and Purpose. And you may recall actually that Frank and I discussed purpose in the conversation that we had today. Frank mentioned how important purpose is for our health and our well-being and he said that the ordinary activities we do on a daily basis have an extraordinary effect on our health and we take those for granted. I absolutely agree and actually a whole quarter of my upcoming book on stress is dedicated to meaning and purpose and how important it is for our health and what steps we can take to start finding meaning and purpose in our everyday lives so if this sounds like something that will interest you you can actually pre-order the book now by clicking on the link on the show notes page don't forget that many of the topics that frank and i discuss today are the topics that i write about in detail in my international bestseller the four pillar plan if you are listening to this in the usa or canada my book, The Four Pillar Plan, has come out there about a month ago, but it's got a brand new title there and it's called How to Make Disease Disappear. Again, you will get a link to that on the show notes page, or you can just Google it and find it at one of your local bookstores. Guys, if you want to support this podcast, which I, I really hope you do, it's actually pretty simple to do so. You can just share this episode with a friend or with a family member, or take a screenshot and put it on social media on Instagram, Insta Stories, Facebook, Twitter do tag me do tag my guests when you do this it helps me interact with you you can also press subscribe which is a great way for me to raise the profile of the podcast and if you haven't already i'd be so grateful if you go onto your podcast platform and give this a five-star review it helps raise the profile of the podcast which means i in turn can hope to attract better guests for you in the future Once again, guys, thank you so much for listening. Please do think about putting these tips into practice because when we feel better, we live more. I hope you guys have a fantastic week and I hope you can join me next time.